Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harris, ready to talk all things Pittsburgh Steelers. Joining me as always, none other than the man himself, Dwayne, the Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, I'm, I've been trying to think of, you know, of course, spending my time in a great manner, thinking of new nicknames to give you and new intros and stuff. And <laughs> what I need to start working in is the Sandlot's like ongoing list of you know, the Colossus of Clout, the Salt, <laughs> like, all the all the Babe Ruth ones. But for now, we'll just keep riding with the Rock. Yeah, I look, my traps are nowhere near the Rocks, but like, look, like it's a good. Like I, there could be so much worse. Like at least you guys gave me like a positive nickname, <laughs> you know. So, um, it, and it's one that I've heard, you know, a lot through my life. I think people just naturally like, oh, Dwayne. You know, the first Dwayne they know is Dwayne Johnson. So it is what it is. <laughs> but uh, you know, speaking of, you know, uh, trying to think of a situation where like we can think of the most positive outcome. Like, how are we going to do this now? Like for the Steelers. Like, what? Look at the quarterback situation, man. Like this is one of the biggest changes like we have, like of of the entire offseason. Losing Ben Roethlisberger. And I know Ben was on the way down, but Ben ran the offense and they threw a lot. I think this is one of the offenses that could look the most different um from what it did last year. Um, you know, of all the of all the teams, honestly, that we've talked about. Yeah, we just got done recording the Bengals. I don't think this one's going to be quite as optimistic, uh, spoiler alert, with some of the players, but certainly with Najee, Deontay, even one Pat Fryermuth, plenty to talk about here. So as always with our team previews, we're going to go through some of the coaching changes, roster turnover, and then get into the nitty-gritty quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. So appreciate you guys, as always, for tuning in. And with that, let's get after it. Looking at the Steelers coaching staff, Mike Tomlin back for year number 16, trying to keep that 500 or better streak going with second-year offensive coordinator Matt Canada, longtime Steelers linebackers coach and defensive coordinator Keith Butler. So with Matt Canada, to your point, Dwayne, you said this uh this in you know in the flow of conversation in the Bengals podcast about Tom Brady. He's he runs the Brady offense in Tampa Bay Ultimate. He is going to be running the offense. And that's what we saw with Ben Rossberger last year. And Canada and the Steelers admitted that. I mean, backup quarterback Mason Rudolph straight up said this last March that the Steelers didn't run Canada's offense because of Rossberger specifically saying but I'm excited this year just to kind of have the dialogue with Matt and move forward with his bread and butter. He's a play action guy. He's a push the ball down the field kind of guy. I think that suits my style. Well, this is for like that one month period where it looked like Mason Rudolph might actually be the Steelers starting quarterback. Obviously now he is third on seemingly third on the depth chart, depending on how much you believe about OTA reports, but Canada himself, like don't even take Mason Rudolph's word for it. Canada last June said that we are going to do what Ben wants to do and how he wants to do it. Looking at what Ben wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. Just play action on 19.4% of their dropbacks, 31st ranked mark in the league. I know we slander them a lot for that, Dwayne. Tampa Bay, I believe, was 32nd. No one's really calling for Tom Brady to run more play action, but we're talking about Tom Brady and Ben Rosberger. Obviously, for a lesser quarterback that you know might need some help making the reads, we would like to see that play action increase. And to Mason Rudolph's other point about Canada hopefully pushing the ball more downfield, Ben ranked 41st in average target depth among 44 qualified quarterbacks. I mean, there was a, like a, a literal, literal laugh track should be made for some of the fourth down attempts that we had last year in this offense. Like, Ben would get the snap, and with the ball would be in Najee Harris's hand after like a second and just nowhere to go, even though it was fourth and 10. So, you know, the percentage of passes, uh, you know, not at or beyond the sticks, absolutely pitiful. Also got to look at this offense being 29th and shift in motion rate. So on the one hand, Dwayne, there's a lot of things this offense can do more motion, more play action, maybe even having a little better, little bit better pace here. I mean, 21st ranked uh, scoring offense was awfully predictable. 
I don't know if they're going to have really the bodies under center to do it, though. And to your point, yeah, maybe Matt Canada does want to run more play action. Maybe he does want to push the ball down the field more. But it might be one of those offenses that actually tries to run the ball as much as possible and is actually going to utilize these sort of concepts when they do decide to pass. That's kind of how I'm leaning towards it because, yes, this team did rank eighth in pass play rate during non-garbage time situations last year. I don't think they're going to be top 16. Dare I say, man, this could be a top five, top 10 run offense in the NFL. Yeah, I think if the Steelers <clears throat> can lean into their defense, like this will be a year that they will do it. Now, their weaponry still, you know, uh, they've got enough weapons in the passing game that they can line they can line up and, you know, decide to throw the ball. Like the question to your point, though, is can you do that with Mitchell Trubisky? Can you do that with Kenny Pickett in his first year? And the answer is, you know, there's a, there's a broad range of outcomes that could occur with that. Um, and the answer on one end of the spectrum is, yeah, they could do that on the other end. It could be, no, I'm with you. I think it's going to be somewhere more in the middle. I think, you know, when you look at Ben, um, 40.4, uh, passing plays per game in regulation, um, last season, um, 42.3 the year before, um, those are both really high marks. I think those numbers are going to come down a lot. I mean, they've been a 65, 35, 64, 36 pass to run split team in regulation, you know, over the past two seasons, I think if Matt Canada has his way and Mike Tomlin has his way, I think, you know, they get that number more down to like 60, 40, 58, you know, 42, somewhere in that range where what they want to do is live through efficiency in the passing game, not live through volume in the passing game. Now, again, game scripts, things like that will dictate what that ultimately look ultimately looks like. Um, so uh, some of that will come back to the Steelers, you know, uh, defense. It'll also come down to some of the matchups they have and the other quarterbacks that they have to play on their schedule. But I think if, if we just had to say today, you know, in, you know, in the end of June, almost, you know, trying to get towards the early days of July here. Um, I think, you know, the same way that you do. I think they want to be a more, so if we had to pick the Madden playbook, right, I think it would be balanced to pass balanced. Not even run balance. I feel like this, I feel like we're saying they're going to get I think, more run. I think, I think may not, but I still think balance to pass balance, you know, is basically just what I, you know, uh, the ranges okay. that I just gave are, are in those ranges. I don't okay. think they'll get all the, I mean, they could, I just struggle a little bit with that when you still have, you know, the investments in Claypool, Deontay Johnson, um, you bring in um, Pickens this year. Uh, You also have Fryermuth, you know, from last season. Um, So I I feel like, you know, the weapons that they have, um, they're still going to throw, you know, the ball some. I don't think they'll completely like just go into a shell, but I think a lot of it will be based on matchups. A lot of it will be based on the way that the game is playing out. If they are leading, I do think we could see them start to shut things down and run the ball because, you know, what a, what's one of the big things that we see, you know, with rookie quarterbacks, it can be a challenge. It can be turnovers. And with Mitchell, with Mitch Trubisky over his career, one of his big challenges has been that he will turn the ball over. So I think undoubtedly, you know, we're going to be late in games. And if the Steelers do happen to be winning, I don't think they're going to be one of these teams where we just see them you know try to keep their foot on the gas i think they will definitely lean into their running game for that and i think they will lean into their running game to try to to really unhit you know kind of uncork the passing game you know more like um you know what we've seen even you know from san francisco what we've seen from seattle but not quite that run heavy they don't have the run base quarterback although you could argue like mitch trubisky right you know he has he has shown you know some upside to his ability as you know uh, a runner from the quarterback position and then you know kenny pickett is young so we've seen younger quarterbacks also do that i think i don't think they'll be quite as run heavy as those teams so that's why i kind of put them in the middle right more like that balance to pass balance maybe they could get to run balance i think you probably see them in one of those three modes like you know depending on you know the way the game script's playing out and the matchup 
Not expecting them to be a top 10 passing offense again. I was probably a little bit ahead of myself in saying a bottom 10 uh, offense with that. Probably finishing somewhere, if we had to guess, between 16th and like 20th. But to Dwayne's point, could be more of a week-to-week thing. When you have all those wide receivers and Fryermuth, and obviously Najee's a great pass catcher in his own right, it would make sense if they do stay out of the 49ers level of the basement in terms of pass play rate. So let's quickly go through some of those offseason moves that we've already talked about a little bit here. Ben Rossberger has retired after starting 247 games for the Steelers from 2004-2021. Two Super Bowls to his name. Tough to call his on-field legacy anything other than exceptional. Mitch Trubisky, two-year $14.3 million contract, just $5.25 million in fully guaranteed money, though. I mean, they can bounce from this deal and leaving only $2.6 million in dead money after this year. I mean, if anything, this could just be a higher-end backup contract, particularly after taking Kenny Pickett in round one was the first overall quarterback selected with the 20th overall pick, as we all saw. Fake slide touchdown, awfully dope. Although when you look a little bit closer at his dual threat, you know, tendencies, he was someone that we doesn't exactly fit the mold of a past, you know, historically high-end rookie quarterback at running back. Only move was Kalen Balazs remaining an unrestricted free agent. As we've seen with some of these teams, you know, they will uh, with Jarek McKinnon and Daryl Williams, different team, but got signed later. There still are a good amount of running backs. I think will wind up on roster. So maybe Balazs does come back to Pittsburgh. Maybe some of you are just completely out on Balazs and I get it, but compared to the other running backs on this roster, he has shown more three down ability, not great ability, but the Dolphins and the Chargers did sign up to give him that role after injuries happen. So compared to Benny Snell and these other guys, just something to keep in mind. At wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster signed with the Chiefs. James Washington signed with the Cowboys. Ray Ray McLeod signed with the 49ers. Replacing them, Miles Boykin. One year, $2.5 million deal. Gunner Osweski, sorry, uh, punt returner extraordinaire, not expecting him to do much on offense, but really it comes down to George Pickens, who became the latest wide receiver tab for big things in Pittsburgh. Only wide receivers that the Steelers have drafted higher than Pickens, who was actually the 52nd overall pick since 2000. Plaxico Burris, Santonio Holmes, and Chase Claypool. So obviously expecting big things from him. And finally, uh, let's see, actually fourth round uh, wide receiver Calvin Austin also added to the fold at tight end. Eric Ebron remains an unrestricted free agent, sneaky possible target for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, perhaps. They did add Michigan State tight end Connor Hayward, brother of Cameron in the sixth round, not expecting him to be more than a clear-cut backup, though. So, Dwayne, with these signings, it's the quarterback room. Otherwise, though, there is a sneaky good amount of turnover here in this offense. Losing Juju and James Washington, even Ray Ray McLeod, man, like those were three of their top five wide receivers last year. It's Claypool, Deontay, probably Pickens, but maybe we do actually see a situation where one of these guys can stand out now that there aren't nearly as many proven complimentary pieces. Yeah, it's just tough because everything's changing. Like, yeah. you know, we know Matt Canada is actually going to get to run his offense. Um, we're going to have a new qu- quarterback under center. Um, you mentioned, you know, the turnover in the, you know, in the skill positions. Yeah, I think, and look, Deontay really already did it. You know, Deontay Johnson really last year already separated himself from the pack. Whether he'll be able to do that again, you know, this next season um, with the way that they're going to run the offense, I don't know. I, I tend to think Deontay's still going to easily lead the team in targets, um, and I'm not that concerned, you know, about his target share. I'm more concerned just about how many plays can they run, right? How efficient can they be? Can they get first downs? Can they stay on the field? You know, that's the sort of stuff that really just worries me more with the Steelers. And then what's the overall quality going to look like, right? How, you know, we just got through talking about 
on the last podcast talking about the Bengals and how really they had continuity on their side at this point. Yeah, they've got some new offensive linemen, but those are upgrades. Um, really with the Steelers, one of the things, you know, despite, you know, Ben's struggles is we've kind of been able to pretty easily peg what we think the offense is going to look like. And like now there's just, there's a much broader range of outcomes, I think, um, you know, based on all of the moving parts. Um, I think Deontay and Najee are pretty safe to be, you know, lead bets in the offense. Um, but I do agree that there's some uncertainty, especially more with the receivers. Like there's more uncertainty with Deontay Johnson, I think, as far as like what his new floor may look like versus what we would think about with a Najee Harris. Looking ahead now. To oh, and real quarter- quick, Ian, like I was just yeah. looking, you know, so me coming back also from vacation, like having vacation head still like, so yeah, I mean, I, I talked about the plays like, so where I have them projected right now for dropbacks per game and regulation, I have them at 37.2, which is uh, like ninth, 10th. 10th, ninth or 10th on my list right now across all the offenses. And I've projected all of them. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned bottom 10 offense. I don't know that they'll overall be a bottom 10 offense, but I think there's a big change coming um, in the projected dropbacks per game where they were up over 40. And I think now you'll probably see them somewhere, you know, between 38 and 36. You said I was still ninth in the league. Ninth least. Oh, I have them projected for the ninth least. (laughs) Okay. Makes a lot more sense. There we go. Sounds good. Speaking of those quarterbacks, Kenny Pickett and Mitchell Trubisky, absolutely love when we get news like hours before the podcast that helps it. And we did get that courtesy of the athletics, Mark Caboli, who wrote, unless Trubisky gets hurt or plays terribly in camp in the preseason, it's difficult to imagine a scenario where he doesn't start the season as the number one. Also know that Kenny Pickett worked exclusively with the third string offense during OTAs and minicamp. Not unusual. We're not going to fully know what's going on until the preseason snaps get out here. But this, as our lovely friend uh, Sigmund Bloom points out, kind of has been a constant drumbeat throughout the offseason, Dwayne, that they really are going to give Trubisky the first chance which is a little bit puzzling when you consider that Pickett's seemingly calling card was the fact that he was the you know most pro-ready quarterback out of this group. It kind of seems like Trubisky's going to get the chance, man. And that does set back Pickett for having the opportunity to, I think, put forward uh, just one of these rookie seasons that's worth giving a damn about in fantasy land. When you look at the handful of quarterbacks that have been able to put up top 12 numbers as a rookie, the two main just similarities we see with the group was the presence of a high-end rushing floor, which, again, Pickett, the fake slide was very cool, but he did not make a habit, especially on design runs, of being used that often as a rusher. I thought the Tony Romo comps, while maybe extreme in terms of the ceiling at hand or just who he – because Tony Romo is so good. I just think that's, you know, middle-class man's Tony Romo maybe. But just the one thing that I think the comp did a good job of showing is that Pickett is someone that looks to pass first, run second. So from that standpoint, just not really expecting him to be, you know, this sort of Josh Allen rookie quarterback who's able to overcome, you know, some low-end passing efficiency with running the ball a lot. In terms of Trubisky, we have seen him flash that. I mean, in 2018, he was actually – I don't want to say pretty damn good, but he was all right, man. Like 2018 was the best version of Trubisky that we saw. And he actually gave us some nice spike weeks. I mean, he had two finishes as the overall QB one. He finished as the QB two, QB five and QB nine, all between weeks one through 11 before suffering a shoulder bruise. After that, we saw him run less. Wasn't quite the same efficiency wise. Obviously 2019, 2020 happened. So I don't love hanging my hat on an 11 week sample size when a guy's been in the league for, you know, five, six years. Uh, With that said, Dwayne Trubisky, 
has had a slightly higher fantasy ceiling than what we've seen from a lot of other, you know, relative bad quarterbacks in the NFL. So the question is, now that Trubisky is, I think, objectively surrounded by the best weapons of his career, could Trubisky carve out a role as a poor man's, a poor man's graphic guy, Josh Allen, young Josh Allen, where he's a better fantasy quarterback than real life? Yeah, I think it's possible. It's just so tough because, like, if if you make me pick, like, what way I think the season's going to play out, it's Trubisky starts the season and he gets benched, <laughs> like, at some point. But if he was able to stay on the field, yes, I think you know when. And we talked about this back whenever the free agent you know period had happened. We didn't have the NFL draft you know yet. We talked about Trubisky on that podcast as being someone that if they got through the draft and they didn't take a quarterback in the first round or second round that we would definitely have interest, right? He's got plenty of weapons put around him. Um, you could actually see him as being someone that might, you know, really excel in the offense that Canada wants to run, where you're going to use more under center stuff. You're going to let him use his legs to run bootlegs, play actions, get more motion, different things involved to create, you know, better looks for Trubisky before the snap and right as the football is being snapped. I think those could all be positives, you know, for Trubisky. I think the big fear for him is he's just a turnover machine and he gets sacked too much, you know? So, I mean, if you go back and you look at Trubisky, Trubisky pretty much every season he's over the NFL average you know in sack rate you know for his career um, his his interceptions per you know drop back or over uh, the league average for his career so I just worry that the you know he's gonna have to tame the turnovers and the sacks the forced fumbles all those things because I think when you have someone um, like Canada that wants to live more through the efficiency in in the offensive game and a defensive minded head coach in Mike Tomlin I think there's just a lot of risk for Trubisky ending up you know fumbling his way or turning turning the ball over and that's going to ultimately lead to a situation where he gets taken off the field if, if he can manage to take that step forward to your point yes I think the rush the rushing profile is strong enough like it's more along the lines of you know uh a Ryan Tannehill right it's not it's not on the level right of of you know Trey Lance or Jalen Hurts or any of these other guys but I mean he could come through you know in a 16 if he could play a full 17 game season like he might be able to eke out 450 yards rushing and give you four or five rushing touchdowns and that's quite a bit like if he just comes through and he's at least average in the passing game that would make him an, an asset in fantasy that could be definitely streamable um and redraft and in best ball definitely going to have a few weeks where he's going to hit for you what you said though about Tomlin and Canada, it makes me think that Trubisky's like best case scenario could almost be like what we saw from Jameis during the first seven, eight weeks of last year, where yeah, a couple of weeks, everything goes right, makes some big time throws, uh, and actually pops up on the fantasy sheet as a top ten guy. But I just more 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 I think about this offense, man. We really think they're going to turn it over to Mitchell Trubisky and just let him throw the piss out of the ball week in and week out. Really not expecting that. I think there could be a lot of games that maybe not a lot of games because this team doesn't isn't exactly profiling as an elite team. But man, if they can build a quick lead, you know, even 10, 14 points or something, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Trubisky racking up games where he's not even surpassing, you know, 25 dropbacks. And with the rushing ability, he does have it, but I don't think it's going to be something they necessarily lean on in terms of the designed run. So talked about Trubisky a little bit here's what PFL's 2022 NFL draft guide courtesy of NFL draft expert Mike Renner had to say about Kenny Pickett where he wins QB feel Pickett has a natural feel that's uncoachable in a lot of ways whether it's throwing guys open understanding receiver leverage avoiding the rush or keying blitzes Pickett gets a lot of the little things already What's his role? All-around QB. Between his combination of experience and NFL translatable skills, Pickett is as ready as any quarterback in the draft class to start out the gate. The question is, how high is his ceiling? 
Where can he improve processing speed? He has to speed up his process in the league. The work through reads under the assumption he can always buy himself more time. Ball out has to be his first thought at the next level instead of break pocket. Not exactly what you want to hear, Dwayne, when he's entering the season behind PFF's 30th ranked offensive line. So looking at this, I think the big common narrative for the Steelers passing offense, at least last year while we had the watch Ben, you know, just really have the worst season of his career. And at that age, you know, how could you really blame him? But the idea was that how could this passing game get even worse than what we saw from last year where they finished 27th in EPA per pass play in the league. But man, Dwayne, between Trubisky and Pickett, are we really that certain? Like, do we really want to go to war with Trubisky and Pickett over the quarterbacks that finished lower than them last year? The Texans, the Jets, the Bears, the Giants, and Panthers? I think the answer could be yes, but it really is an argument. Even if this is going to be a better passing game than we saw last year, I'm not so sure that we you know, could objectively rank them better than like 25th or 24th. So overall, I really don't think either of these quarterbacks, even in best ball, have too much of a ceiling worth chasing, particularly in redraft. Maybe we see them continue to open up the offense, but man, for us to get excited about either guy, I think we would need to see a week one to week two pass play rate that's actually flirting with an above average mark and some sign that Trubisky has can get back to his 2018 early season self and or Pickett looks as pro ready as some people are allotting him out to be. With that said, though, PFF projections rank both quarterbacks outside the position's top 30. Right now, I have Pickett as my QB 30, Trubisky as my QB 34. What are your overall thoughts on getting exposure to these guys across different types of fantasy formats? Yeah, I think if you're going to do it, it can only be in best ball, and they have to be your QB 3. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. And, and then it's basically a situation where maybe value so much value fell to you at other positions you decided just to let quarterback go or maybe quarterbacks went early and it pushed a bunch of other things to you and you're just basically zigging while everybody else is zagging sometimes that happens in a draft right I mean it, it you look down you're like well crap I guess I need Mitch Trubisky as my QB3 I think that's a break glass in case of emergency kind yeah. of thing. If you want to, if you want to do that, well, with one of those two players, but definitely not a strategy that I think you want to be leaning on. I'm very similar to you. I've got Trubisky uh, as my QB 33. And then I have Kenny Pickett right now as uh, my QB 30. So I've got them both right there next oh, to one another. Nice. My, my guess, my guess is that, and I, I haven't had a chance to update like since you've, you know, since we've gotten a few more nuggets, you know, cause I was out when some of that stuff was, was hitting. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Pickett probably ends up still starting more games. I think Mitchell Trubisky will start the season, but just knowing how much he gets sacked, knowing his turnovers and the history that he has with that. I just, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think they're going to give him a long runway. It, it would be my guess. Now he could surprise us like, and things could be really going well for him. So um, I still have Pinnick. I still have Kenny Pickett slightly ahead, but that could easily flip. It's one that we're going to have to watch, you know, through training camp. I mean, they use the first round pick on him. We just don't really see teams draft first round quarterbacks and make too much of a habit sitting him on the bench. 20th overall, certainly we've seen that more than top 10 picks. But I guess my big thing with Pickett, like other than the first round draft capital, I just don't think he really profiles as mm -hmm. someone that's going to like, He's more mobile than Mac Jones, but I think like even if Pickett surprises us and is a, a great real-life quarterback as a rookie, it might just be one of those guys that still isn't worth much of a damn in fantasy. Uh, here's the one stat I pulled before uh, the NFL draft, and I was trying to look at these quarterbacks and their rushing ability. I was looking at guys that had what percentage of their games did they have at least 50 rushing yards. Malik Willis was at 60%. Uh, Sam Howell, 22%. Matt Corral, 27%. Desmond Ritter, 36%. 
Kenny Pickett, just 13%. So really out of the big five quarterbacks, he's always profiled as the least fantasy friendly of the group because of his lack of willingness to use his legs. Again, not a bad thing for real life, but you know we're playing fantasy football here. So even if Pickett can beat out Trubisky, which seems far from a given right now, I don't think the carrot, you know, it tastes good enough to even be worth chasing in the first place. So Let's talk about slightly more positive position group. That is Najee Harris in the running back room. Also have Benny Snell, Anthony Booger McFarland, and Trey Edmonds hanging out there. Chill out about Najee Harris's weight. This was one of the more annoying days of the offseason, in my opinion. Weighed 242 pounds last year and showed up to OTAs at 244. Chill out. If you think that this weight is causing a problem for his explosive plays, that's a conversation we can have. But look, it's two more pounds. Calm down. Ultimately, with Najee Harris, he was a bad running back last year, and we don't hold it against him because of the volume, which is why we shouldn't hold it against guys like James Conner or even Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley as well, but we don't for Najee, so good job by everyone. But yeah, just to put it into context, 30th among 50 running backs with at least 100 carries in 2021 in PFF rushing grade, 38th in yards per carry, 20th in yards after contact per carry, tied for 15th in missed tackles force per carry. So, Dwayne, you know, I went through, I watched all of Najee's uh, – it's basically a lot of his forced tackles and his receptions out there. And you see the flashes, man, of him in the open field making dudes miss, but you never really see him breaking away from anyone. So luckily he has this volume, but how do you kind of balance what these running backs that have the real nice missed tackles rate, the slippery in space, but you just know like he's, unless the defense just freaking parts like the Red Sea, he's not really going to have too many of these chunk runs, which is a problem in an offense that we're not exactly expecting to contend as a top 10 scoring unit. Yeah. Basically what I'm looking for in these profiles, I, I like the missed tackles and the yards after contact to also you know, tie over to the explosive rushing rate, right? right? Those carries of 10 plus yards or more, because that just increases your outs, right? So if you're in a bad offense and we know you're going to get the volume, but we also know that maybe you're good for, you know, two touchdowns, right? From a long way out in the season, because you've got that in your bag. Well, then now you've got another out, right? To outperform expectations for touchdowns. Whereas, you know, if we, if we don't think that you've really got that and you're going to break many long runs, now we have to depend on your offense, getting you down inside the five yard line, and then also deciding to give you the ball and not throw the ball in those scenarios. Game scripts come into a play. So a lot of things can get really wacky, really, you know, quickly. So missed tackles force yards after contact. Like I, I, I like to look at them because I think they do help us look at a running back and be able to compare them to their peers, you know, and and things that they can help control. But at the same time, if it doesn't ultimately lead to helping create some of these larger plays, it it doesn't, it doesn't do a lot for us, you know, in fantasy football. Um, So with Harris, I think, you know, the the potential positive for Harris is the way they're going to scheme things, um, the way they're going to get under center more, um, less shotgun. We've heard multiple backs over the years talk about, you know, whenever they're having to run from shotgun versus getting to run, you know, uh, from under center and being able to get, you know, more speed up before they hit the line of scrimmage, those things. I could see some of those things potentially helping Najee Harris, but I don't have like any firm data. And I mean, I like to research all these sort of things and I've, I've tried looking into that in the past. And I found some small edges like for being under center. And I do think there's something to it. The problem is like, how often can the Steelers stay under center, right? They're going to have to be, be close in games. Like once you get behind, you can't just stay under center um, all the time. Um, the, the advantage you're getting from being under center, right? As you are, you're trying to set up play action because basically when a defense sees that and it's on first down, 
they're pretty much they're locking in. They think you're going to run the ball because most of the times teams do run the ball. So ultimately, um, it could help Najee Harris, you know, but I think the bigger component is they're trying to create the big plays in the passing game because they don't want to throw the ball as much. So um, and in the end, like what's it going to do to Najee Harris's involvement in the passing game? You know, I think there's just going to be less targets to go around in the offense. So even though we know Najee, you know, is really nice out of the backfield, and I think there's still going to be volume there for him. I just worry that overall the pie in the offense altogether, Ian, is shrinking. Um, and as much as, you know, we may, you know, not like Ben Roethlisberger, again, we knew how to project the offense when he was there. I guess what we're hoping is that the offense can create more big plays, can, you know, potentially create more touchdowns than what we were getting with with Ben Roethlisberger. But I think trying to project that and saying that we're going to be really confident in it is really a tough thing to do. I think you're kind of going out on a, on a limb. The way I look at it is it's in the range of outcomes, but I'm not going to project it that way. I'm not going to project it that all of a sudden Najee's going to have more big carries, Najee's going to be able to score more touchdowns, and that's going to offset this loss in volume that he's probably going to take just because the overall offense is going to, the pie is going to shrink. And the volume is just so much more important. Great point uh, on a little back and forth I was having with uh, underdog fantasies, Hayden Winks, where Hayden just brought up that you can take any running back at 0.5 yards per carry on 250 carries. You're getting 12.5 additional fantasy points across the entire season. Like yards per carry really just is one of the more useless stats that I think we can have in fantasy sometimes and continue to hang our hats on the receiving volume is what we really need to worry about here. Only Derek Henry averaged more expected PPR points per game than Harris last season. I'm not so sure we're going to see that same gaudy target total. They're going to get him the ball, but I did try to dig into things and look at exactly how he was getting those targets. So, Last year, 14% of Harris's targets came on screens. That was the sixth lowest mark among 54 qualified running backs. Maybe that was a bent thing, but he was getting the targets on checkdowns. He led the NFL with 34 checkdown targets. Now, you, lazy analysis can look at Mitch Trubisky and say, oh, look at Tariq Cohen's numbers. Like He, he's, he knows all about feeding a fantasy-friendly running back a bunch of targets. Tariq Cohen, from 2017 through 2019 combined, had just 24 checkdown targets. Again, Najee had 34 last year. Meanwhile, Cohen had the league's second most screens other than only Alvin Kamara during that stretch. So we are going to need to see this offense embrace more screens, embrace more design ways to get the ball into Najee's hands. I'm not saying they won't do that. He's going to be their bell cow again, but you, we are starting to make some jumps here. Also got to consider this offense not nearly being as good. And even though PFF projections have Harris as the third ranked running back in terms of total touches going to next year, I just more and more, Dwayne, I wonder if I am a little bit too hefty on Najee as my RB4. I'm looking at him. As the top six running backs, I think there's Taylor, McCaffrey, Henry, Najee, Eckler, and Cook. And the more I look at it, I think Najee probably deserves to be at the bottom of that tier because out of all these guys, the offense is either the worst or right there with the Panthers. And I don't think we have nearly as much concern about McCaffrey's receiving volume falling down. How do you kind of rank Najee among that group? Because again, I do think he has a legit chance to have 400 combined carries and targets. And when you have that many touches, you can be terrible, which he's not, but you could be terrible and still put up good fantasy numbers. So we need to be careful from that standpoint. But yeah, when we're talking Taylor McCaffrey, Henry Eckler and Cook, those are probably guys worth uh, targeting a little bit higher than Najee in the first round of fantasy drafts. Yeah, I I battle the same thing, you know, with Najee. <clears throat> it's really all volume based. Like, here's the thing: when we look at his backfield mates, that's the challenge. There's no one, no one. Like, this is gonna. I know they're talking about they're gonna give him 
you know, more plays off all with the who? stuff this year. Exactly. With who? And even if they do, like he's still probably going to lead the league, right? And percentage of rushing attempts for his team, uh, as well as, you know, a lot of the routes. You know, if you look at him last year, he was on a route 66% of the time the Steelers dropped back to pass. Like that's more than DeAndre Swift at 65%. That's more than Alvin Kamara at 64%. Jeez. So, um, I don't think he's going to lose those routes either. Can he can he continue to get the same target share? I think he'll probably will because of the questions you talked about. We don't know for sure what's going to happen with Pickens. Um, we do like Deontay Johnson. We do like Claypool. Um, but you know, Fryermuth is a solid you know profile. Um, but Najee is to your point also not one of these backs that we just talked about. You know, on the last show, he's more like a mixin, right? He's a behind the line of scrimmage. He doesn't have this a dot past the line of scrimmage like Kamara, Eckler, uh, McCaffrey. These guys that are really more incorporated year over year, season after season, no matter what, right? Their coaches find a way to keep them involved in the passing game, no matter what other weapons they may have on the team. I think with Najee, he's at a little bit more risk there, but. Again, we have this uncertainty and and uh, around the pecking order in the passing game. So, you know, 20 percent targets per route run. That's an RB one number, and that's what he put up last year. And he, you know, he profiles similar to me. Ian is really Leonard Fournette, right? His targets per route run are very similar to what R- Leonard Fournette was. You know, even early on in his career, nobody ever really gave Leonard Fournette credit. But Fournette, the thing he's done is as his you know, career has progressed, like his average depth of target has gone up. Like even last year, it was a 1.0, which is high for a running back. A lot of yep. people like went one yard for running backs. That's high folks. Like McCaffrey at a one negative nine. a lot of times. Yeah. Eckler was at a one six. Most running backs are negative. Most running backs have, have a negative average depth of target. And again, that's where you're thinking about the check downs to the swings, all the stuff you're talking about. Um, so yeah, I think, and also playing under center, you're not going to get as many checkdowns, right? Because you are looking to push the ball down the field. So overall, I'm with you with Najee. I, I I struggle to like push him lower because you know we've only got this one. You know, he's he's going into his second year, but I mean he will be 24.5 years old. You know, people, I, I did a tweet, you know, about him and Bark. He's only one year younger than Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is going to be 25.6 when the season starts. Najee's going to be 24.5. I know you and Edwin Porras talked a little bit about age versus touches. You know, uh, Tay Seth did some great work that folks can go look up about running back workloads, what it looks like for the rushing yards over expectation. And he tied it to touches. I know that uh, Porras was a little bit more based on the age that the running back is. And so when you look at something like that, I mean, Najee is really, you know, he's not like the spring chicken. We're, I'm not worried about him falling off, you know, just being like, oh, my gosh, you know, Najee Harris is just not going to be able to, to be a bell cow back for another couple of years. I think he's fine, but it really is all about volume. And in an offense where you've got a shrinking pie, I just get concerned with Najee. And honestly, I have not clicked Najee Harris's name in any draft yet. Zero. RB6, but I, I hear you in terms of taking other guys around that spot. Is that where you have him? I have him as my RB4 right now, but I, I am kind of, I am struggling with it because I never take him. But the problem is, like, I'm not passing him for the other backs. Like, yeah. I'm not taking Derrick Henry really either, but uh, Derrick Henry goes a little bit after Najee in most drafts. So if, you know, I have clicked on Henry's name um, because he's he slid down the board and I've taken him. Um, it's more about the receivers that are going in that range. And I usually end up um, clicking on the receiver. And a lot of it, again, some of this comes back to the format you're playing in. Like, so if I'm playing in DraftKings best ball over the, the last week where I've really been, you know, drafting, it's full point PPR and you have to start three receivers. 
So that those two things alone make receivers fly off the board. You get over on underdog, theoretically, receivers shouldn't fly off the board as fast as they do on underdog. I think people are like a little bit hyper aggressive um, on receivers because it's a half point, not a full point. We probably should be a little bit more balanced with our running back takes, but whatever. It is what it is. Like it's the new cutting edge thing to do. Just take eight receivers to start your draft. Whatever. You do you. Um, but whenever you get into those two rooms, you have to take some receivers. So I, what I'm trying to say, I guess, and you know, I'm, I'm doing a poor job. I should make it a lot quicker than this. The format and things matter, right? So when I'm sitting there and I know receivers are all about to fly off the board, plus I know it's a full point PPR, I'm just taking Stefan Diggs, man. I'm taking Stefan Diggs, who's going to play for the freaking Buffalo freaking Bills <laughs> with Josh freaking Allen. Like that's, I feel like the boom case for Stefan Diggs. Like, man, like I get excited about it. For Najee, it's kind of like, well, can everything go perfect and can the volume be enough? And look, we love volume. Volume is king. It always is in fantasy football, but there's just enough question with the Steelers that I'm just not taking him. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to really think, rethink like, where do I want Najee in my ranks? Post draft, non super flex best balls. I have taken Najee once in 25 drafts. So yeah, man, it, you're, you're right though. Once you get down on the clock and it's like between him and one of these wide receivers, I'm taking the wide receiver and the volume really does make it tough to move him underneath those other guys, but it's it's certainly a tier. It's, it's volume, and he's only going into year two. So, like, those two yeah. things together just make it so, to your point, tough. And, man, that 66% route runs per drop back, even with the pie shrinking, like, that's 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 an elite, elite number, yeah. right? And could his, could his receiving volume shrink some? It could, but it could also just stay exactly the same. And if it does, it's going to be hard for Najee to not finish as a top five back. It's just, I, I, I guess when I look at it, I just, I don't see the big boon case for Najee. I don't, I don't see the deal where I'm like, with Derrick Henry, at least we've seen with Henry, he can, st- he can break the long carry, even though like his explosive rush rate has come down. Henry is a guy that like we've seen him repeatedly in his career break off the 50 yarder. The yeah. set, dude, we've seen Henry break off the 95 yarder, like 99 yarder, 99 yarder against Jacksonville. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it, they're two different players. They're both big backs, but Henry's explosiveness is so much more. It just gives you a wider range of outcomes for his upside because of how many touchdowns he can score. Um, so yeah, it's a challenge. It looks like Benny Snell will be the next man up. Should Najee have to miss time for any reason? Can you just call him Snell or Snail? Snail, Snell. <laughs> can we just call him Gary after, I think, I think. <laughs> after Gary the Snail? Yes, we can. Actually, I like that. That is the new official nickname of Benny Snell Jr. Unless Ian gets an interview with him, and then we'll change it back for that for that pod. <laughs> <laughs> just for, from now on, we're not going to even say Snell. It's just going to be all right. Behind Gary. Najee, we got Gary. Okay, so Gary has at least fifteen carries on eight separate occasions over the years, which actually surprised me um, that he had that many games with that many carries. With that said, just twenty-two targets in forty-six career games. Like, if Najee goes down, Dwayne, where are we ranking Snell? Like a boy. Borderline RB two, maybe, maybe, maybe. I, I just think there's so think many better running backs to take a dart later in the draft. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and we've seen Snell actually get you know some of those opportunities in the past and not really be able to come through. Um, back in the James Conner era when he was still a Pittsburgh Steeler, we saw some of those games where Snell you know got the opportunity and just wasn't really able to do much with it. Like uh, Matt Waldman, I think you know explains it really well. He's like, hey, if Anthony McFarlane and Benny Snell Jr. could both like be combined, 
Like they could really form, you know, a nice punch behind Najee Harris. But unfortunately, Anthony McFarland's really fast, has no vision, can't can't read an offensive line. And Benny Snell has great vision and processing, but he's just too much of a plotter to be able to do much with it. So they're just kind of stuck in this situation where most likely those two guys get mixed in together or, you know what, they bring in someone else, you know, would be my guess. I have Matt Breida as my RB 63. And he's kind of like that guy that when I'm looking at other backup running backs, I'm like, do I really just ever want to throw a late round dart at them? If I do, I'll put them ahead of Brita. If I don't, I'll put them below Benny Snell, RB 64. I, I don't want him anywhere. I, I think, dude, I think, I think Kalen Balazs would be their best potential backup. Like if Balazs was there, we could actually wrap our minds around him, maybe getting the three down roll, but it's just not there. It's just not there for Snell. Like he's, I just think like he's a worse version, like what Foreman and Haskins can give us at the same point in the draft. I have him at 79 and you, you don't ever see him get drafted. Rarely. You rarely see him get drafted. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I don't really see any reason to mess around with Benny Snell or Anthony McFarland for that matter. Before we get on to the wide receiver discussion, I want to shout out our leading sponsor of the day, Manscaped, the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off free shipping with the code PFF. Manscaped's brand-new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they have ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped.top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and news code pff it's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package also everyone the best place to play fantasy football this summer is underdog fantasy underdog is going to double your first deposit up to 100 when you sign up using the promo code pff and all you need to do is play 10 of those dollars using promo code pff and you'll get a free pff subscription so what are you waiting for head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the app store play 10 dollars with code pff and draft your best ball mania team today this is going to be, I thought this would be one of our hostile conversations, Dwayne, because we've kind of talked about the difference in opinions on Deontay Johnson and his actual standing among the game's most elite receivers. But I have, and again, when we talk about all this stuff, you know, 24, 7, 365 days a year, uh, you know, I think we're more attuned to kind of the changes in ADP than maybe some others that are just more so looking at things once they're ready to draft in August or so. Deontay has been a faller in the wide receiver two mess. And as we've talked about, after you get past the top 10 or, or 11 receivers, you have issues with really all these guys, whether it's their quarterback, whether it's just being a crowded offense. I mean, I went through the top 24 wide receivers and underdog ADP. Only 11 of them are playing with the same quarterback that they did last year. Now, I understand Cortland Sutton, Judy, like there are guys getting a quarterback upgrade, but Man, like there's just question marks for all these guys. And now to see Deontay Johnson down at wide receiver 19, I'm cool with him there. That's actually where I have him ranked. So just to be clear, my issue with Deontay was more so when he was going as like a legit borderline wide receiver one, because man, I just, I don't think he is quite that good to warrant that in an, un, in an uncertain situation. If you look at him, in 2021, I looked at his ranks and these metrics only on targets that were deemed accurate in the receiver's frame and or away from coverage. So these are just some of the stuff we can look at behind the scenes of PFS. So I want to take out all the bad bend throws and just the inaccurate passes, basically. So we had 84 wide receivers get 25 such targets. Here are Johnson's rank. PFF receiving grade, 62nd. Yards per target, 59th. Yards per reception, 59th. QB rating when targeted, 47th. Not great. Now, they're still not bad numbers because these are accurate, but everyone was putting up good numbers here. I do just think he was more of a 
result of volume as opposed to someone who is necessarily earning it and doing big things with it. Then again, as we talked about with Najee, who really cares if you're getting this much volume and only Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, and Cooper Cup have more total targets over the past two seasons. So he can do it all. We see him. He burnt Jair Alexander for a long touchdown. Now it kind of seemed like Jair. Jair is really good when he does give up a random play at, you know, immediately finding a teammate to look at and maybe, you know, putting the putting the thought of doubt into the uh, viewer's head. Like, oh, maybe someone was supposed to be over the top there. But, man, Dwayne, I will say I watched all, I think, because uh, without no plays, he had something like 180 targets last year. You know, me just having a big social life. I went through and watched every single one of those targets at some point last week. I really thought Deontay left far more yards and points on the field than Ben did. I mean, look, Deontay dropped two touchdowns against the Vikings. He dropped another touchdown in another game. Like, and we don't care about the drops in terms of fantasy. But, man, Dwayne, it'd be, it'd be a lot nicer if he catch some of these damn balls. Like, there's not, there's not the sort of DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin highlight for Deontay Johnson where Ben was just sailing passes that had no business being there. The thought for Deontay is that Ben's – spot and his decision making on the field forced him into being this low eight out wide receiver that was just getting all these screens you know targets within five yards of the line of scrimmage and without Ben he's all of a sudden going to have a higher eight out and more chances to win downfield I'm just not super convinced that that's going to be a good thing for him because I'm not so sure he can actually turn those types of targets into the sort of high-end receiving production that we see guys you know, the DK Metcalfs of the world that get 120 targets and are still able to work as, you know, a top flight wide receiver with that. So those are my overall thoughts on Deontay. Again, he deserves to be the projected target leader and not wide receiver 19. Still, anyone's idea of a very good receiver. I'm cool with them there, but give me your overall thoughts and if we should be overly buying Deontay because he is now affordable and able to get in that range if you feel like it. Yeah, so <clears throat> let's just start with this. You don't have to buy Deontay Johnson even at ADP like if you're going to draft 20 times this offseason 100 times 500 times I don't know like you're going to draft five times like you're going to have it in five drafts you will get one opportunity I promise you to just draft him after he falls past ADP and so mostly that's what I've been doing and I that's how I've been trade treat that's how I've been treating really the whole tier of the guys that are not in the good offenses like whenever they fall down because everybody is like all of a sudden just boost every receiver you know, in the league above them and they just take all those guys like around early. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I've got DJ Moore um, falling back to me in the fifth round. I'm just like, yes, <laughs> you know, you know, Deontay Johnson fall back to me in the middle, late fifth round. Um, I got him at the very, I got him, I think round five, pick 12 the other day. I just clicked. Yes. I would like to take Deontay Johnson <laughs> where I'm not taking him you know, is in the fourth round whenever it's headed back down, right? Or, well, depending on which end you're drafting from, I'm really not taking him in the fourth round. Like, I've got other players I'm prioritizing, and I'm really treating that whole group the same. The one thing I'll say with Deontay, I agree. Like, I set the drops aside. They have been consistent enough with him that you worry, like, is it going to be, you know, problematic over time? It's it's obviously, it's like the yips or something. Like, it's in his head. Um, but typically, drops are not sticky. Earning targets is really the more sticky thing. And the thing I'll say with Deontay is he does play outside. He plays against a lot of the best corners he sees more of the rolled coverage he gets treated like a true alpha receiver and whenever if we want to just isolate him down to the easiest thing to look at which is whenever you're tracing facing true single man coverage meaning it's you, just you mano and mano and it could start off like as a cover four concept that turns into truly a man you know defense on the backside so all those times whenever he's truly in that man 
um, you know, man, man v man situation of all the receivers in the league last year that least saw a hundred snaps in that situation. Um, if we want to look at Deontay Johnson, you know, he here, here are the names that are above him. Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Michael Pittman, Cooper Cup, Jalen Waddle, Brandon Cooks, Cole Beasley, Justin Jefferson, Jacoby Myers, and Deontay Johnson. If you want to get rid of the, you know, of the slot receivers, right? You're going to lose Jacoby Myers. You're going to lose Cole Beasley. And you're even probably, I have to, you're going to lose Cooper cup, you know, out of the mix. And we're not going to, we're not saying you got a discount, you know, Cooper cup. And then, you know, Keenan Allen also gets to work from the slot. So if you just truly want to compare him to the guys that get to work outside and how well is his ability, you know, to get open, which is a step or more of separation versus his defender, then Deontay Johnson is a really good player. And the, even when you read this list, like it's a who's who's list of like really good fantasy players, right? We And that's typically how I judge a, lit, a list. Like that's the litmus to like, hey, does this stat maybe matter? Like when all I see are really good names on there and like an occasional other name might pop up, like that's typically a good indicator. Also, just from a standpoint of being able to demand targets whenever he did get single man coverage, um, meaning Ben trusted him to get open, right? Not just force it to him because, oh, everything is schemed up and designed. Is because he can actually get open. Like he was a top five receiver as far as demanding looks, targets per route run versus man coverage. So I think there's a lot of good things about Deontay Johnson's profile. I think he is an elite young receiver. Um, I, But having said all that, Ben was part of the problem. But are we really getting an upgrade at quarterback? And is there still going to be the same volume? It, yeah. Is the pie going to shrink? My biggest concern with Deontay Johnson is that the pie is going to shrink. All of a sudden, we're going to go from a team, you know, that was in the top 10 and drop back rate to a team that could be, you know, ranked 20th, you know, could be ranked. Heck, they could be ranked you know, like 22nd, 23rd and drop back rate and their place per game could go down. And those two things combined, it's just. Yeah, it's it's it could end up being problematic for Deontay Johnson, but I have no problem ranking him to your point as the number we're on the same page, number one guy in the offense, you know, but his target shares, his targets per route run. I mean, his targets per route run have been twenty seven percent two years in a row. Like so it's really hard to be that good. Like that's elite. That is top, top, top end wide receiver one. I truly do believe that if Deontay Johnson were playing for the Bucks, if Deontay Johnson, you know, were playing for the Bengals, and when I know we got to break down like you know the other receivers on the rosters, but let's just say this: if Deontay Johnson was playing with a good quarterback on an offense that wanted to throw the ball a lot, like he would be in my top five. Like, but he's not. That's the bottom line. He's not. So, having said all of those things, and just kind of you know, I wanted to throw a few things out there for context. You know, on Johnson. You know, looking at the rankings right now, and I basically already stated my piece. I'm taking him when he slides past ADP, but right now I've got him ranked as wide receiver 18 over at FFPC. He's going wide receiver 16, thanks to Fantasy Mojo for that data. And then over on Underdog, like you mentioned, I think it's wide receiver 19 right now. So, um, typically, I've, I've got him ranked right in line you know, with where you could take him, but I don't feel like I ever even have to take him at ADP because it's like every fifth draft or so, people are just like, eh, screw Deontay Johnson. One of these three guys, the whole room, every draft will decide for you. DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, the other name that will slide. Man, I was one pick away from DK Metcalf in in a draft um, at like pick 65. (laughs) Like I was the next guy. And the guy waited forever. Total drain down, probably an auto pick. I don't know. He didn't know what to do. I think he was like, DK Metcalf, what do I do? Why is everybody (laughs) fading him? And I was like, man, I have zero Metcalf. Like, But I want a little bit of exposure. And so – 
with that whole group, really the way I'm getting exposure right now, I've noticed in these drafts, just pro tip for you guys, one of them falls in every single draft. So you don't have to force trying, if you're going to draft multiple teams, you don't have to try to force it with any one of them. It's accepting that we don't know everything that's going to happen with a lot of these uncertain situations. I mean, once you get, we'll give AJ Brown the benefit of doubt and just the incredible things he's been able to do. But after him, like Pittman, McLaurin, DJ Moore, Cortland Sutton, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, Jalen Waddle, Gabriel Davis, Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, Brandon Cooks. Like we can bicker about if maybe one or two of those guys, I'm sure Thielen's much lower for you, uh, Dwayne, but out of that group, like there is at least one gigantic red flag for like everyone. So that's why with Deontay, it's one of those things where like, yeah, we can pick apart his uh, profile a little bit because of this surrounding offense and the chance for the pie to shrink. But again, for every other guy in this tier, there's also that problem. So I think you put it best. You basically let the board kind of fall as it falls and then take the cheap guy that you end up getting a value on. Let me ask you this, Ian. So, I mean, you've done a lot of best balls too. <clears throat> like where I get kind of, a little torn and right now i've got deontay ad- above you know uh alan robinson but like i found myself sometimes just like okay i'm gonna take alan robinson here like i've been i wasn't doing that like when the offseason first started but now i'm mixing him in and the other part of that is that the Rams' schedule is just so nuts right they, they've got to play all of these big games against all these other big quarterbacks they play in a good division they're playing against you know the afc west we've covered that multiple times but there's just there's a ton of room for huge fireworks on the rams offense even as the number two receiver versus Deontay Johnson as the number one receiver on an offense where we're like eh, we're not quite sure like what's going to happen you know so I'm still typically taking Deontay Johnson you know over you know Allen Robinson um, and typically though I don't have to make the decision I just wait for the draft where he falls my number one highest exposed wide receiver right now is Terry McLaurin. Number two is Chris Olave. And I still try to look myself in the camera and say that I don't have an Ohio State bias. But <laughs> truly, everyone, Terry well, McLaurin. They are, good, they, they are good players, Ian. Yes. So you have that. Let's talk about, for some reason, one of the more just controversial, like Chase Claypool, man. People hate him. People <laughs> hate him. My God, like really out of all the players in the NFL, you guys can't find a worse guy to hate and bark about than Chase Claypool. I'm sorry that a player who has to every single play shake free from a world-class athlete who's being paid to shut them down, then has to run over the middle, jump up, catch a ball between heaven and earth as a safety is trying to take his head off, then come down with the ball and hopefully run away from the dozens of linebackers and scary defensive linemen that are on his tail. We're going to chastise that guy for having a little bit of irrational confidence in his head like to me it doesn't seem like anyone asked him if they think he's a top three receiver those are the worst situations i think claypool kind of came out and said it on his own he's literally gotten like a week's worth of slander thrown at him for just saying that but it's like Since my God, when do we not want a receiver with confidence why is this a bad like- thing that's my point <laughs> the guy scored 13 touchdowns in 17 games as a rookie like that's pretty damn good, man. I'm not surprised that he has that sort of belief in himself after being able to pull that off. And to your point, like, since when is this a bad thing to consider yourself like that? So, of course, it also comes back to the perceived lack of maturity where Chase Claypool had the worst, uh, you know, worst eight catch on nine targets for 93-yard game ever against the Vikings when this game was such a freaking disaster. Like, what? Wasn't Minnesota up like 28 points? Like Claypool helps them get back into it until he doesn't. And he has a dumb move. He celebrates too long. Eric Kendricks had a nice little veteran move, knocking the ball out. But that shouldn't have even been 
in the realm of possibility because he should have just given the ball to ref. We can all accept that. And the next week, yes, his snaps went from actually there were 59% of that Vikings game, 63% the next week. They were actually dipping a little bit by the time the playoffs came around at the end of the year, though, he was back up as an pretty much every down receiver. Like, Again, Dwayne, it's with Claypool, all the things like if we just showed his if we just show Chase Claypool's profile, all of his numbers, all of his efficiency statistics, we said we have this likely number two receiver in the Pittsburgh offense like he'd be going, I think, a good five to ten position picks ahead of where he's going now. But because it's Chase Claypool, people are making a stand against him. I think he's one of the easiest like mid to late round values out there right now because he's just being dinged for a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with how we should be projecting him for 2022. Yeah, I think with Claypool, the biggest takeaway for me with, well, there's two things. Claypool checks a ton of boxes, you know, as far as being someone that could still end up with an elite breakout season. Now, the same th- things that are going to hold Deontay Johnson down, right? The offense, I think those things, you know, the quarterback questions, they're obviously playing into his ADP. But the second thing is, like, it, it's cheap. You're not having to spend a big pick to get Chase Claypool on your fantasy roster. Like, he goes in the 10th, 11th round. Um, so for a receiver that's done the things he's done over the first two seasons and being able to get them in the 10th or 11th round of a fantasy football draft, like it's just not normal. We don't normally have players that have done what he has done that you can get at that sort of a discount. Um, you know, normally a guy like this, I would expect Ian to still see him be a seventh round pick, not a 10th round pick. So I think the easy part is like just. ADP is giving you a gift with Chase Claypool. Like he could still be a breakout player in this offense. We know there's a lot of moving parts to your point. If there is one offense we had to point to this offseason, I know we're not completely through all the teams, but of all the ones we've done so far, yes, we like Deontay Johnson. We think that, you know, he is really good at earning targets, or at least I do. Um, and so I like him. But at the same time, like I'm not just going to sit here and rule out that with all the moving parts that Claypool doesn't have a shot at leading the team. And the thing is, Claypool doesn't have to do that. He can just lead the team in touchdowns, right? They get him involved in all sorts of ways, and I think Canada is going to be creative. Like they put him in motion. They give him the ball as a runner. They throw him screen passes. They throw him quick pop passes. They throw him the high point ball. Like he's he can just he's a major weapon. Once you get inside the 10, there's just so many things that Chase Claypool can do. Um, I know the factor is obviously the offense, right? Is the tide, you know, this really, you know, allowing it's the opposite of right. Rising all ships. It's like keeping all the (laughs) ships from rising, you know, as we just don't know for sure what the Steelers offense will do. But again, like you're getting him. It's such a discount at ADP for the profile that he carries. It's just one I'm not thinking too much about. And he's an easy name to click. Also got to look at one George Pickens looking at what PFF wrote about Pickens in our 2022 NFL draft, courtesy of Mike Renner, where he wins ball skills. Pickens ball skills are among the best in the class. Even hobbled. He still managed to make one of the best catches in the SEC championship and national championship this season. What's his role? Project X. Pickens look like a shoe in to be a wide receiver one in the NFL after his freshman season. He certainly has the size to stick on the outside in the NFL. That ability hasn't gone anywhere, but it comes with far more questions now where he can improve. Health Pickens needs to show that he's developed since his tremendous true freshman campaign because we've yet to see much in that regard. Does look like he'll be the three. Dwayne, I think Deontay Johnson is one of these later career T.Y. Hilton was like this too. Like just these more slim type of wide receivers. People just kind of assume they're in the slot. But to your point, like Deontay does this on the outside. Claypool has played more in the slot over the last two years than Deontay has. And they've actually given uh, Claypool, if you go back, especially two years ago, like when he was scoring like touchdowns on rush attempts, like near the goal line and stuff. I mean, he's almost the guy that I think we should be expecting to get 
or at least, you know, be messing around with some of those same sort of yak uh, scheme plays that Deontay will, of course, his get his fair share as well. But Pickens will probably be the other outside wide receiver. Where he's going in drafts, I think is fine. Similar to Claypool, it's just like when they're this cheap and we have kind of the talent profile that goes alongside with them, I'm not against taking a shot at him. Right now, I have Claypool, wide receiver 47. Picker, Pickens, wide receiver 69. Uh, ADP-wise, Claypool is going wide receiver 49 right now. Pickens is actually at underdog fantasy. 71 on, uh, sorry, 71 FFPC, 72 on underdog. Yeah, like he's just going behind some other guys that have pretty much the same sort of draft capital in situations that I don't think are necessarily all that much better. I'm not going completely out of my way to get pickings or anything, but I think where he's going, Dwayne, it's certainly a fine dart. Yeah, no, he's he's just falling down the boards. And I think the other thing that happens, especially in best ball, because everybody's drafting two and three quarterbacks, well, nobody's drafting the Steeler quarterbacks. So yeah. th- when that impacts ADP, folks, and so when they think there's no one to stack, well, then why am I taking Claypool? That's why Deontay Johnson falls down the board in some of these. You know, so, I mean, it's it's one, you're in a bad offense. But the other part is what people are thinking and part of the psychology is, well, I can't stack them with a quarterback later. Yeah. And so I think at some point you have to say, okay, that's all great, but I don't need every receiver on my team to be stacked with one of my quarterbacks. At some point, I just need talented players on my fantasy football roster that I can get at a good ADP. And so when I can get um, George Pickens, He's a guy that I take plenty, Chase Claypool, guy that I take plenty, and it's all about the ADP. With the other guys that are going so early, you know, and you're having to deal with the bad offense, like that makes me a little more leery. But once we get into round 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I don't care about the quality of the offense quite as much, right? Still, if I've got a wide receiver three on a team versus another wide receiver three on another team, and it's, and you know, the wide receiver three on the other team is going to be a top five offense, sure, you're going to lean to the team, right? Um, That's got the better receiver. But guess what? ADP is also pushing those guys up the board because everybody wants to do the double and triple stacks with their quarterbacks. So it's not all just about like, you know, the talent profile of some of those players that is is not the only thing moving their ADP. It's the fact that can you stack the quarterback, you know, with the receivers or can you not? And so I think sometimes to your point, Ian, you have to be, I think the new word we want to use now is unique, not contrarian. (laughs) Like I think Chase Claypool, I think, um, you know, looking at a guy like George Pickens, they're great opportunities to do that because they don't cost you a lot to do it. And you know, you're getting access to the talent profile that you want access to. Talk a little tight ends before we get on out of here. Pat Fryermuth, of course, Zach Gentry, and six-round rookie Connor Hayward. Fryermuth was good as a rookie, and he had the touchdowns. He had a pretty nice highlight film in terms of making contested catches in the end zone. I was underwhelmed when actually looking at some of his more advanced underlying statistics. 53 tight ends had at least 25 targets in 2021. PFF receiving grade, we did see Fryermuth rank ninth. Yards per out run, though, 24th. Yards per reception, 50th. Targets per out run, just 15th. Just one target all season on a pass that traveled at least 20 yards in the air. Maybe that was more of an aspect of the offense. Ben Rosberger having that low A dot, not being willing to hold the ball very long. I would be willing to give him that benefit of the doubt. With that said, I don't know if Frymouth is going to be one of these players the Steelers are consistently asking to run down the seam and try to make these big plays. Someone that could make more out of their, you know, 60, 70 targets potentially uh, than your usual tight end. I think Frymouth might need to get there with the touchdowns. And Dwayne, I, I bring it up like every podcast when it's not about the Steelers, but I still haven't heard a good reason why Zach Gentry ran more routes and played more snaps in the most important game of the season. And that Steelers wildcard loss to the chiefs. I mean, 
Frying with had 77% and 66% snap rates in the two games following his week 15 concussion. So this was not a, you know, trend that was happening at the end of the year. They just decided to use both of them. And honestly, man, we have seen this pretty consistently over the last few years with Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald. Pittsburgh really has been a two tight end offense for a while. And I'm just not super sure it's going to change. Now, Frymouth should, I think Frymouth will for sure lead the team in targets, but it's one of these things where Gentry, in my mind, is like your boy, Greg Dulcich, and some of these other players. Well, I'm not worried about them in and of themselves, like taking this over. But I think if we're looking at this offense, it already has three wide receivers and a running back that could potentially all be ahead of Frymouth on the target totem pole. Like, I don't want Gentry being out there hardly at all, let alone potentially more than Frymouth. So for me, I have him tight end 12. I've started to get, I think I got my, maybe my first share of uh, Frymuth like last week when he actually was starting to tumble down the board. Again, I don't think he's bad by any stretch, but it was more so earlier in the offseason, like just shooing him into the top 10, like no questions asked. That was kind of where I drew the line. So I guess I'm worried about the overall big play potential here that we really didn't see last year in an offense that could certainly take a step back in the scoring department. Where do you fall on Fryermuth, who right now is work going off the board over underdog fantasy as let me pull it up. Fantastic podcasting going on right here, going off the board as the tight end 11 right now. Like for me, like why take Pat Fryermuth a pick 126 and we can get Irv Smith 10 picks later, uh, Tanyan or your boy Albert O 20 picks later. And we even got like, like what's really the difference between Pat Fryermuth and Hunter Henry? right now this year it's actually the comp that player profiler uses as Fryermuth. for me henry should have a higher target projection probably in a better offense like why not just wait literally 25 30 picks and take hunter henry later yeah i don't think you have to force pat Fryermuth. um i the way i compare him is really more to other rookie seasons for tight ends and all the metrics that you named were actually really good if you go back and compare to what other rookies have done and so i think you know, his first year was really good from that aspect. You know, the negatives that you named were true. Like his, he does not get down the field deep. His yards after the catch, not big. Uh, his explosive play rate, 9%, which was terrible. So remember, those are uh, receptions of 15 plus yards or more divided by your targets. That's your explosive target rate. And so, yeah, like there are definitely some issues, you know, with Firemuth, but overall, like the 74.8 PFF receiving grade as a rookie is really good. The 19% targets per route run, also really good for a rookie. It also is typically what a, you know, a tight end that's ranked between 7 and 12, a low end tight end one like is typically around a 19 to 18% targets per route run. So, I mean, he's checking some boxes, but again, you're just the bigger issue for Fryermuth is, you know, where he goes in the tight ends versus what you get with how far like Claypool falls versus other receivers, how far Pickens falls versus the other receivers. Fryermuth is still being taken, you know, inside the top 12 at his position. Right. And so it just makes it tough because the tier is right there where you've got Dawson Knox, who did live on the fumes of a really good offense, but he's in a really good offense. Yeah. Irv Smith Jr., who we both love. I've got in the same tier, you know, with Firemuth. I've even got Cole Komet right there. Hunter Henry's right there. Gerald Everett. They're all really close. You could even make an argument for, you know, Tyler Higby. I think. Armu's talent profile right now is is stronger than those guys with what he did in his first year. But again, we have to take the whole picture into the equation and then we have to factor in what does ADP say. And so for me with Fryermuth, I think I have him once, maybe yeah. twice. And it's just been when he's fallen past ADP similar to you. 
because typically I'm going, I'm, I'm able to wait to your point and get other guys. And that's the point of really making tiers and tier breaks, especially at the onesie positions. You can really use the tiers that way. If you're really confident in them, you're like, okay, I could take Fryermuth here, but why? When I, to your point, I can wait, you know, two rounds, right. And get this other player that I like just as much, um, you know, in, in the same tier. So yeah, Fryermuth for me, it's when he falls, I'll take him. I'm, I'm not going crazy with him. I, I, I give him a little more credit, like for his underall, you know, talent profile and what he's flashed. I'm not that worried, you know, about Zach Gentry. It's just more the overall offense. And there's a good point about comparing them to the rookie tight ends. We usually see t- rookie tight ends do absolutely nothing. So should certainly give him more credit than I probably did initially uh, with what he was able to do in 2021. In an offense that did have a pretty bad version of Rossberger under center. So there is a scenario in, where in a fairly competitive situation for targets with yep. Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool and Juju Smith Smith Schuster was in, he was out of the lineup for the most of the time. So we can set him aside. So that that could have also been a that probably helped Fryermuth, right? Yeah. The time that Juju was out. And Ebron got hurt too. I mean Yeah. Yeah. So but you know Zach Gentry was still there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so yeah i mean that's again i have friday with ranked 12th i'm not saying that you can never take him i don't think Dwayne is either it's just like he is in that tier with a bunch of other guys and i don't think that there's enough uh you know green flags for a situation to really warrant taking that extra dart dynasty yeah knock yourselves out but you know mostly we're just focusing on 2022 here on the pff fantasy football podcast so Dwayne. Quick summary of everything we talked about: Trubisky and Kenny Pickett, guys that maybe they maybe they can be an upgrade over what Ben Roethlisberger was at least in the year 2021. With that said, particularly in Pickett's case, I just don't know if he is built to be this fantasy friendly quarterback, even if he is going to exceed expectations as a rookie. Mr. Trubisky seems like a matter of when, not if, he eventually loses this job to Pickett at running back. Najee Harris. Dwayne and I both have him RB4 for now, want to move him down, but every time we try to do it, you just start looking at that potential volume. It becomes awfully difficult to do so. Really think objectively it's hard to rank him any lower than RB6. We do not really care about the backup running backs, but if you're drunk and you want to drop Benny Snell once, I guess it's okay as long as it's in the very last round. Wide receiver, Deontay Johnson. Wide receiver 19 is a very reasonable spot to get him, but in this muddled wide receiver two tier, just be, you know, be willing to let kind of the value fall to you, depending on if it's Deontay, DJ Moore, DK Metcalf, or whoever. Chase Claypool and George Pickens, both guys that Dwayne and I are comfortable getting in the later rounds of the drafts. Dwayne brought up a good point that you can regularly find them sliding because of the lack of a stacking partner at QB. And Pat Fryermuth, kind of like what, kind of like how we treat, treated Deontay Johnson, or at least how I was treated. Deontay Johnson earlier in the offseason where it's like it's nothing wrong with Pat Fryermuth, the player or the talent but when we have him in a tier with a bunch of other guys and the ADP is having Fryermuth going well ahead of the other guys that we don't think there's that big of a difference I'll go ahead and just take the other guys later sound about right Dwayne no I think you hit it all on the head I think the way we're approaching the Steelers in a nutshell the guys that we like the ADP on and you can get them later and there's not as much risk. That's really more and more of the exposure comes from. If you're taking any of the, of the players that go earlier, it's also typically due to a slide. Like it's, I don't really, there's no, there's not a player on this team that I'm targeting right at ADP. Maybe and it would, it's Claypool, right? Because I feel like, you know, his ADP is already baked in a slide that shouldn't yeah. be there. Um, so and Pickens is the other one like I'll take them even when they don't slide but all the other guys that go earlier like the only way I'm pulling the trigger is when they slide past ADP 
Make sure you guys go on over to pff.com. Check out Dwayne's best ball strategy articles, setting you up for success, whether you have an early pick, mid pick, or you're over there at the turn in the, you know, 110 to 112 range. Always great stuff from Dwayne. And just, you know, knowing where your outs are, as Dwayne likes to put it a lot of times. And, you know, once you kind of get to certain areas of the draft, like you could be killing your draft, but if you don't get a position at the right time, uh, you could just be, you know, working from behind the rest of the way. So make sure you guys check that out. As always, you can get these uh, podcasts. not one for one. I don't read off my freaking article, but if you're a reader still in the year 2022, you can go check out these team previews on pff.com. And yeah, great day to be great. Everyone appreciate you tuning in as always for Dwayne. And if you are a reader, just make sure that you hit at George Shahiri, um, <laughs> PFF George over on Twitter and let him know that you are an avid reader. Just, he would love to hear from you. That's at PFF George on Twitter. It might be an underscore in there. I can never, I can never keep track. Dwayne, we did not have PFF in our handle. Uh, you know, someone wants to send a little check over for that. I'll, I'll do my handle, whatever I want. It really can't get much worse, man. Again, uh, when my Twitter got suspended back in the day, like someone was just like, Hey man, maybe don't sound like a freaking porn star in your Twitter handle. And it's like, well, yeah, guess it's a decent point, Dwayne. So we'll worry about that later. Yeah. You're like, it's just my name. <laughs> just, just absolutely crushing these. If we combine our two names together, it like gets really weird. Oh God! Oh my gosh! All right, let's get out of here for Dwayne. I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning into PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care. Everybody.